0: Glory to God. Thank you, worship team. So good to see you all here today. What a great day it is outside and a great day it is in here with the presence of God. Well, if you were here last Sunday, thank you. We finished up our series on faithfulness. We're going to move on to another series, but not today. We're just going to do a little one-time thing here, stretch it out on, on a topic. If you are are on Facebook. And you saw a note I put up there on one of our um, daily reads. I mentioned it in John chapter 5 as I was reading through it. I'll tell you, I was just enjoying myself with that one. I said so we may have to visit this sometime soon. So that's today. We are going to take a visit on John chapter 5 and a miracle I know that we all know. How many of you are... I'll put it to you this way. What are you willing to do to receive what you think you want? We all have something that we desire and we say, boy, I would do anything. (laughs) And then fill in the blank, right? How many got something like that in your life? I would do anything if just this would happen. If this would go on. Well, here in the, by the time we get to the end, I'm going to give you some things that you may be asking for. And we're going to show you in the word of God what you need to do. And many times we come up with our own things to do. But God has often given us what we need to do in order to accomplish what we want. If you'll turn over to John chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. I know initially they were thinking that this was the only place this pool was recorded because when the Romans went through and destroyed Jerusalem, they destroyed many parts of it so thoroughly that they could not find this pool, among other things. But they have uh, uncovered some areas of a pool in this area of the city that had five porches, as they put it. Once again, the Bible proved right. Men proved wrong. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already had been in this condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Now I want to paint for you the picture here of all the things that are going on in this situation. We have got a pool. I don't know how many. i tried to figure out how big this pool would would be, how many people it would hold. But what we do know is that there is a great multitude. Now, a great multitude doesn't tell us exactly how many people are there. What it does tell us is how uh, many people were, were, how few people were not there. You know, if you had 10 people, that would not be a great multitude. If you had a 100 people, you might consider that to be a multitude. I don't think you would call it a great multitude. If you had 200 people, maybe you might call it a great multitude. But in the Bible, when it talked about great multitudes, one great multitude it had was 5,000 men and their wives and their kids. That's, that's what it called a great multitude. Now, I don't think there are quite 10,000 people here at this pool. But we're going to say it was somewhere north of 100, probably north of 200 people. So let's just take a number. There is no factual evidence for this, but I'm just going to give you a number just so you can get a visual picture of this. Say that there are 200 lame, paralyzed, diseased people, blind, whatever it may be. The Bible specifically says blind, lame, and paralyzed. Say that you have a pool and you have invited over 200 blind, lame Paralyzed people. And all at once they all jump in the pool. Is this good? (laughs) Now think about it. If you're paralyzed, how good are you at swimming? If you're lame, you might be able to do some swimming. If you're blind, you could probably swim, but you're blind. Whatever it is, all these people that need healing are jumping in the pool to try to be the first one that's in there. That's, that's not a fun situation. How would you like to be a lifeguard there? <laughs> Whew, that's gotta be a tough place to be. <laughs> Who do you say first, huh? Now the first guy in got healed. Whoever the first person was, they got healed so they could swim, they could do, stand, whatever they, they needed to do. They could, uh, they could be alright. And this pool may be shallow enough that you could stand in it, but if you're paralyzed or lame, that's not gonna help you out. So we have a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For there was an angel that came down at, at a certain time. So this time was known. Stirred up the water. So everybody, nobody's touching the water. You don't want to touch the water and, and not be able to see when the thing was stirred up. So nobody's touching the water and they're all just watching the water. Can you imagine showing up at a pool and all you did was watch the water? That's it. Watch the water. Because you have to be the first one to notice that the water is stirred up so you can get in the pool. So you sit there and you'll watch the water. That's got to be along the lines of watching paint dry, (laughs) grass grow, stuff like that. This cannot be an exciting day. Can you imagine getting up on whatever day it is? I don't know that this is an everyday event, but it sounds like it's a fairly common occurrence and it happened often enough can you imagine, hey, I'm going to the pool today to watch the water. Can you imagine getting up for that? I mean, you might get excited because I might get healed, but you've been there a few times and you haven't gotten healed yet because somebody else is beat you in the water. This guy has had this infirmity for 38 years. 38 years. So imagine if you have, have something that has bothered you for 38 years. I don't think he is paralyzed. We'll, we'll get there. We'll show you why I don't think that. But he had the infirmity for 38 years. In verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there, he's not standing, he's not sitting, he's lying there. So that tells you some of his condition. He knew he'd already been in that condition a long time. So Jesus doesn't necessarily know that he's there for 38 years, but he knows he's been in this condition for a long time. And so he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now I've taught on this before, we bring up this point all the time if Jesus comes to a place there's a bunch of sick people around the pool waiting to get in the pool to get healed is the question you would ask him do you want to be made well? Is that the question you're going to ask him? The very fact that he was there you would think you're going to be assuming this person wants to be made well. Do you want to be made well? Now how many of you have something that you want God to do for you? Don't raise your hand just you know inside inside hands. How many of you have something that you want God to do for you? And if somebody were to come up to you and say, "What do you want God to do?" and you would be able to say, "This. This is what I want." Are you do you want to be made well? You see, just being at the pool apparently it's not enough to tell Jesus that you want to be made well. Some uh, if you want to relate this some people might say you know, they get called on and somebody says do you really want God to do this for you? And we may call into attention man I've been I've been going to church for 20 years. I've been going to church bending in a Sunday every Sunday in worship service I pray everything list all the things we're doing this is what he's doing. He's listing the stuff that he's doing. This is I've been here waiting to get in. See many show up or seem to be in a place to pursue the thing that they want. But that may not tell the whole story. So look at his answer here. He has a, a fairly long and involved answer. If you were to come up to somebody and you were to say, do you want to be made well? What's an appropriate answer? Yes. 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 Or. No. I don't know why you would be at the pool if your answer is no. But that would be an appropriate answer to the question. You know, it's kind of like politicians. Politicians, you ask them a question, would you do this if you were elected? No. Well, <laughs> and oh, wow. we start going on about what they would do. And after five minutes, you say, is I, I, that a yes or is that a no? <laughs> I don't know. We just want a yes or a, or a no. And um, I think I've told you before, one of my favorite campaign people that was out there, I just loved Herman Cain. He was one of my favorites. Because if you asked him a question, would you do this? always, every single time out of his mouth was yes, no. And then he'd explain it. And I love the explanation. But I just love the fact that he would answer the question. Would you do this if you were elected? Yes. And then he'd explain. I love that. You don't get that too many times in, in political candidates. A lot of times you get long and involved answers that you don't know what exactly they said. So let's take a look at what he said. Jesus answers, do you want to be made well. The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming another steps down before me. Did he say yes? Did he say no? No. Oh. He um, He gave him an answer that kind of outlined his expectations in this. He says, I have no man. So this apparently tells us that he needed assistance to get into the pool or needed assistance to get in the pool quick enough to beat the next person in. He could not get there and be the first person on his own. Now, sometimes we have the word of God telling us that a paralytic was brought to Jesus by people that they were carried there, different things had, had gone on. So we know that other people were involved in getting them to the, to the place. Sometimes they would come and they would lay them at the gate. The other people were involved somehow. We don't hear that anybody else is involved. It may be that this guy is able to get to the pool on his own. I'm not telling you that he can. I'm telling you that it's possible that he is able to get to the pool on his own, but he may not be able to do it very quickly. But he can get there. Now, have you ever had anybody who can, you know, get somewhere, but just not very quickly? And uh, my grandfather was was of that nature. He was on crutches. Uh, I think I told you the story of him. He was when he was young, he had polio. He was dropped. He was crippled from the time he was little. He had post polio syndrome, and I've mentioned this before. He is the only known survivor of ALS. He survived uh, ALS, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, he was diagnosed with it. Doctor even saw him and says, "I know what you got." Before I even sit t- even do the test, he did the test. He said, "Nope, you got ALS," and uh, he had that. And he would not quit. And he used to have this little sign up there on his uh, bulletin board: "I will not quit." And uh, he didn't. He was one of those people who just didn't. He wouldn't quit. And so he, you know, he instilled that. Ad- of course, he instilled it in my my mom. So my mom instilled that in us too. And so we always had this uh, this attitude: uh, "Don't quit." find a way and so he was on crutches all the time I knew him he was on crutches but it didn't stop him he got around he got up on ladders and uh, we would paint the house and he'd be on a ladder next to me and I'd be on a ladder and we'd be painting the house we'd get up on his roof to tar some sections of it he'd get up on the roof with me to tar the sections and I wasn't around for him when he did this, but he dropped a tree in his backyard that was, I believe, was, it was uh, not quite two feet in a diameter. It was a good-sized tree. He dropped it. <laughs> he would dig up his own garden. Uh, he would carry TVs. He was a TV repairman. He would carry TVs from uh, the, the first floor in his house up to the second floor. He would get TVs up there and work on them, and then get them back down. He needs crutches to walk. And he would he would get this done. So he'd always tell us, he says, don't fight gravity. Always told us that, don't fight gravity. And he showed us how to work with gravity to get things done. And my wife still yells at me to this day. She said, why don't you ask for help to get that done? I just don't think of it. I keep thinking my grandfather, he'd find a way to get this thing going. And, uh, you know, I always hear his words, don't fight gravity, because we would do that. You know, as a kid, you fight gravity. He said, don't fight gravity. You had to learn how to, to not fight it. And, um, just amazing things that he did. But he could get around just not quick. So if he had to jump in the pool, he would get in the pool, but he wouldn't be the first one, is <laughs> what, what would happen. So I think of him when I think of this story. This, this person is, is inhibited in some way in his mobility but not completely. He can get around. Whether he was brought to the pool each time, I don't know. It is very possible that he got to the pool on his own and had a bed there to lay down on because keeping himself upright probably was somewhat of a challenge. And so he had this this there. But it's also possible that somebody brought him on the bed and he was just able to, um, maybe he would get in a position to maybe roll over and get into the pool. But anyway, it's happened on a number of occasions. He has come to the pool he knows the angel's coming. He's watching the water. He sees the angel has stirred the water and he makes the attempt to get into the pool, but someone else got in before him, and so he ends up in the pool, but not healed. And this has happened a number of times. But he still comes to the pool. How many times do you know people who pray to God, they ask God for things, but they've had, they've been disappointed in prayer before. But they still come to God and they ask Him for things. He says, I have no man. He's telling him what he doesn't have. Jesus didn't ask him what he didn't have. He asked him if he wants. Do you want to be made well? Now, it's a good question to ask. Some people who are sick, they like being sick. They want to make a declaration that I want to get well, but they like the attention that it gets them. Um, you know, Some people, they, uh, they get benefits because they're not well and they don't want to lose those. Uh, there can be all kinds of reasons why they don't want to get well. So Jesus does not make that assumption. If he didn't make it with him, he's not going to make it with you. He's going to ask for some things. Do you want to be made well? So the sick man says to him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool, so he needed some assistance to get in there. When the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. So over the years he's come, but healing has not come for him. So as soon as he's asked, do you want to be made well? His first thought is the reasons why he hasn't gotten it. Now think about this. How many of you, don't raise your hand, inside hand. How many of you are asking God for something and it has not come and reasons why are in your mind? Every time that you think I'm going to ask God for this, but reasons come in your mind as to why it hasn't come so far. And that can hinder you. This is what his mind is on. His mind is on the reasons why it has not come. So he tells them, this is why. See, these thoughts have tempered his expectations. Many times Christians, their expectations have been tempered because of what has gone on in the past or because they have in their mind the reasons why it's not working. It doesn't matter if those reasons are correct and it doesn't matter if those reasons are right. For this particular guy right here, the reasons are right. Someone else beat him to the pool. Someone else got in there before him. So his reason is right, but his focus is on this. I'm I'm here, but I am probably not going to get into the pool. Somebody else is probably going to beat me. Hmm. Well, he says here, I put this in your outline for you. Pursuit of a good thing is not proof in God's view that you want it. Just because you're pursuing something that's a good thing, just because you're pursuing something the Word of God says that you can have, just because you are going after it, just because you show up does not mean to God that you want it. (laughs) Sometimes we expect God to say, don't you see what I'm doing? Look at how I'm, look at how I'm pursuing this. Look at what I'm doing. Do you want to be healed? I'm meditating on the Scriptures every day. What do you mean do I want to be healed? And we, we try and, and throw these things out. But if Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? Obviously, he's not seeing what he, he thinks he needs to see. Isn't that right? Now, the man doesn't answer him. He does not answer his question. He does not say yes. He does not say no. Jesus does not ask the question again. Wouldn't you think if Jesus asked the question and he doesn't get an answer to it, that he does want the answer to that question, and that he would ask it again. Why doesn't Jesus ask him the question again? The man doesn't answer it. Why doesn't Jesus say, look, I'm, I understand you're here. Do you want to be healed? Have you ever repeated yourself in a question? You never repeat it exactly the same way, do you? If you say a, a question to somebody, and they either don't hear you, or they don't answer you correctly, how many have a little bit of sarcasm in your voice when you when you say it again? <laughs> I said, "Do you want to be healed?" Right? We we emphasize certain that we change the we change it just a little bit because we want to make sure that they hear us or that they give us the answer that we're we're trying for. Hmm. So. Jesus does not assume by the actions that we do that we desire to be healed. There's only one thing that tells Jesus that we want to be healed. That we want the thing that we're going for. Only one thing. That one thing is obedience. So he asks them, do you want to be healed? He doesn't answer the question. You see, there is something that this man knows to do. He knows to do it, but he's not doing it. I'm going to break down what this man has, has said that he needs to do, what we know from the story. I'm going to break this down into three things. Three things that he, that he needs to do. First off, he needs to get to the pool, right? That's the first thing he needs to do. First thing, he needs to get to the pool. Secondly, he needs to watch for the stirring of the waters, right? That's the second thing. Third thing, he needs to be the first one in. So three things that he has to do, that he has said, the story has told us, three things have to go. So I broke it down into this. You can write this down or just remember it, whatever you want. He needs to arrive, he needs to watch, and he needs to get in. Isn't that right? Now Jesus is going to have a question, uh, a response to him, and he's going to tell him three things. The reason I broke this thing down into three things is first off, there are three things. And then secondly, Jesus answered them with three things. And what I notice in going through the Word of God, because again, we're going to go here to the end and we're going to look at things that you might be asking for and we're going to break them down. The one common thing I notice is almost every single time that there is something that you need to do in order to achieve or to receive the thing that God has for you, it is almost always broken down into three things. Once in a while you'll find two, once in a while you'll find four. But more often than not, I saw things were broken down into three things. You would think that most of the time we could do three things, right? Most of the time we could remember to do three things. By the time we get to the end here, you're going to find out I'm not doing the three things. You're going to find some things you're not doing the three things on. So let's go on here and look at this. That Jesus says in verse 8, Now how terrible is it to be pursuing a goal you feel you cannot attain because the hindrances... You can't change. How many of you ever pursued something, you want to get here, but there's a hindrance, there's people in the way, there's something in the way, you cannot seem to overcome it. How how frustrating is it to pursue something that you cannot seem to have any effect on the hindrances? Isn't that tough? That's where this guy is. He has listed the obstacles that are in his way and he can do nothing about them. There's nothing he can do to change this. Some of you might be in that position. You feel like you are powerless to change the things that need to be done. So, he's got three things that he needs to do. Anybody remember what they were? Arise, watch, and get in. Those are the three things he's got to focus on. If he could do those three things, he'd get healed. To get in first. He'd get healed. So Jesus does this to him. Look what he says. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. What's he do? In effect, he has switched the three things he needs to do. Instead of show up, arrive, watch, and get in, we've changed it. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But he still has three things to do, doesn't he? Jesus does not tell him that there is any promise with these three things. I don't know if he knows Jesus. It would seem that he doesn't. In the story, it would seem that Jesus that he does not know that this is Jesus. Or if he knows, doesn't know who Jesus is. Because he's asked, who said this to you? I don't know. Some guy. It seemed like he doesn't know. So he's not necessarily doing this on the power. this is Jesus telling me to do it. I mean, if Jesus showed up in your room and said, do these three things, how many of you are doing them? That's <laughs> Jesus. He's telling me that I'm doing them. <laughs> I don't care what's going on. I'm doing those three things. If Jesus showed up in your room and said, do these three things, you don't care what the promise was. If Jesus said to do it, you do it. That's all we would do. But he doesn't even know that this is Jesus. He's, this is just some guy who came upon him at the pool and said what could be to him a really stupid question. Do you want to be healed? How many of you, if you had that question and you were this guy and you don't know that it's Jesus, how many of you would like to say, what do you think I'm doing here? How many of you want to say that? (laughs) You can just just feel that question building up in there. Maybe we might say this, are you blind? We would come up with some kind of stuff like that, but he does not. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. Now, I want you to notice this next verse. This next verse is key. There's going to be something in here. Maybe you've seen this, maybe you haven't. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. What does Jesus say to do? Rise, take up your bed and walk. Three things. What does the man do? What's missing? Where does it say that he rose? Didn't say that he rose, did he? What it said was, and immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. Now how did the man know that he was well? Is it possible for him to know that he's well without rising up? This man starts the process of rising up. Even though it's difficult, somehow he is hindered in doing this. Starts the process of rising up. In the process of rising up, he is immediately made whole. And then it says he did what? Took up his bed and walked. If this is most of us in this story, we do not do these things. I guarantee you we don't do these things. We would mess up. How many of you know, remember how many years did he have this infirmity? 38 38 years. If you had something that hindered you from being able to walk, be able to carry out your normal day, for 38 years, And a man comes to you and says, rise, take up your bed and walk. And in the process of rising up, you are immediately restored and made whole. How many of you are then going on to the second step? Take up your bed and walk. How many of you doing a dance of joy? How many of you going around shouting, "Glory to God! Glory to God! I'm healed! I'm healed! I'm healed! I'm healed!" You going around everybody? I'm healed! I'm healed! Forget the bed, (laughs) right? I don't need that no more. We're going around. We're declared, "I'm healed! I'm healed! I'm healed!" healed." Then we're not walking. We're running. We're jumping. We're leaping. We're praising God, just like the other guy (laughs) at the gate. He's running, leaping, praising God. But look at this. The man was made well on the way up of rising. He is made well before he hits step number two. He is made well. He is fully restored. He did not have to obey step one, two, and three, did he? To get to that spot. But what does he do? He obeys it. So, now you gotta get the whole picture of what is going on here. So he rises up, he is now healed, fully restored, goes back down, grabs the bed, picks the bed up, and walks. Why? Because that's what the man said to do. And he walks. Now no matter which direction he walked, what's he walking away from? He's walking away from Jesus. No matter what direction he walks, he is walking away from Jesus. Because Jesus stood still. He walked away. How many of you, if somebody spoke words to you that you obeyed them and you were healed, are walking away from them? How many want to hang out for a little bit? He doesn't do it. Why? Because Jesus said what? Rise, take up your bed, And walk, and to his credit, this man does exactly what he was instructed to do. He does it so thoroughly. We'll understand what happens in the next verses. Now that day was the Sabbath day. There was a feast. I do not know if this was a normal Sabbath day or if this was a feast Sabbath day. It was a time of a feast. That's why Jesus is in Jerusalem. So it could have been either one. Isn't it interesting? That everyone is gathered at the pool for a healing on the Sabbath day. They're expecting the angel. Whatever the reason is, they're expecting the angel. And apparently, no one's upset that the angel stirs up the water and someone gets healed, but someone's upset because he got healed and carrying his bed. So, rise, take up your bed and walk immediately. Man was made well, took up his bed and walked and that day was the Sabbath. Now I put these things in your outline for you. Since this man felt hindered from doing what he knew to do, Jesus gave him something else to do. So rise, do what you feel you cannot do or at least you can't do it very well. Take up your bed. What would you do, as we said, if you just rose up? Probably not taking up your bed. I put this in your outline for you. The true desire of what you want is demonstrated by what you are willing, what you are willing to do. Change that. I, I missed, uh, must have changed the sentence. Forgot to change the word. True desire of what you want is demonstrated by what you are willing to do. What are you willing to do? Now, some people, they looked, they look for God to respond to their actions. Look at what I've done. God, I've done this. Look at what I've done. I've been praying. I I've been going to your word. I've been worshiping you. I've been going to church. I want God to respond to me based on my actions, but God won't obey or well, He won't listen because of your actions. That's not what's going to cause Him to, to get that. He waits for obedience. He wants to see obedience. Now, if you've had an infirmity, some kind of condition that's keeping you from moving around, keeping you from being as mobile as you should be in whatever way it's hindering you, and you've had it for 38 years, how many think you need a touch of God? How many think you need the power of God? We talked before about the power of God or the authority of God for healing. How many could see that you could probably need a power of God here? And yet there is no case where Jesus touches this man. Not a single, there is nothing that says that Jesus ever reached out and touched him. There is nothing in the, in the narrative that tells us that this man reached out and touched Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood, she reached out and touched the hem of his garment, power transferred and she was healed of her infirmity. There is no indication that any touching went on, there was no transfer of the power. The only thing that caused the power of God to be accessed in this story is his obedience. There is nothing else. When he obeyed, the power went. On his way up, he was restored. You see, until we obey, there's no connection to the power. Your action, whatever it is that you decided to do, is not accessing the power of God. But when you obey and you do what God says to do, that will access some power. Many times we want to give God a response, something that we're comfortable with, some kind of action that we have come up with our own mind, what we want to do. Father God, if you'll just answer this question, I will fast for seven days. God didn't ask you to fast for seven days you're not obeying anything you're coming up with something in your own mind that will not produce power what produces power is when God says to do something and we do it see he will respond to the obedience he is prepared to receive not what you are prepared to give most of our obstructions in receiving from God are born of a lack of obedience not a lack of faith and not a lack of action Let's go on to verse 10. The Jews therefore said to him, now it doesn't say Pharisees, it says Jews. It's kind of interesting because it says that several times. The Jews, the Jews, the Jews. It doesn't say Pharisees. I'm not sure why it doesn't say Pharisees. It seems like this just fits what the Pharisees would do. But we don't have that it's the Pharisees. We have it's the Jews. Jews, uh, Pharisees are Jews. But maybe these are, are religious leaders or Jewish people that just are not in the Pharisee group. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, Glory to God, you're healed. That wasn't what they said, huh? It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. <laughs> now, if he's had this 38 years, he's a small town by comparison with us. How many of y'all know they know who he is? And if you saw someone that you knew for 38 years been hindered by whatever it is that he's hindered by wouldn't you get at least a little bit excited for him And they say what are you doing carrying your bed it's the sabbath He answered them he who made me well said to me take up your bed and walk What did he leave out He, he left out the rise part why did he leave out the rise part? Obviously, he had to rise. If he was laying down on the bed, at some point he had to rise. He left out the rise part. and He said, he told me to take up my bed and walk. Well, they're mad at him for taking up the bed. So he's trying to focus on the why he's taking up the bed. The reason I took up the bed was, the person who healed me, the person who made me well, said, take up your bed and walk. So I took up my bed and I walked. Then they asked him, who is this, the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, um, you know, I'm, I'm no um, super smart guy, but if I was in Jerusalem and somebody healed somebody on the Sabbath from some disease, some infirmity that has been bothering them for 38 years, who's the first culprit? <laughs> I mean, who's the first guy you're thinking of? I don't, this seems like a no brainer. They said to him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. There was a lot of people around there and Jesus just kind of, after he walked and went away, Jesus kind of left the area. So this guy does such a complete job of obeying what Jesus said. Rise, take up your bed and walk. He just walked away, he never looked back, did not look to see who it was. Just kept on going. And when he's asked about it, right afterwards, I don't know who it was. That's some pretty good obedience, wouldn't you say? It's a shame they're not moved by the great healing that had gone on. Well, let's go on. He that made me whole said to me, He that made me whole. So he knows that Jesus is somehow responsible, somehow involved in him being made whole. How many of you, if you had somebody and you knew they were responsible, they had some hand to play some part in you being restored, how many of you would be grateful? How many of you would be glad? Very interesting response we have from this young man. Verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. And the man is so grateful. This is verse 14a, b. It's not in all translations. So I have it for you here. It says, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. So the man grabbed hold of Jesus and hugged him and said, thank you.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> he didn't do that, did he? What's he do? Or the next verse. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Was that guy. That guy right there. Don't get mad at me. He did it. He's the one who told me to take up my bed and walk. He's trying to get the, the heat off of him. Go get him, that guy. I don't know. If, I've been under something for 38 years and somebody came along and helped me out with that. I don't think I'd be going back over to the Jews, Jewish people and saying, this is the guy right over here. I'd say, told you, I don't know who it was. I'm not going to go find him. Why is it that you find somebody to tell them this kind of news? Because you want to get in with him. Right now he's feeling on the outs with them. If I get in, I'll tell him who it was. Why in the world do you want to be in with people who are upset that you're carrying your bed on the Sabbath instead of rejoicing that you got healed? But Jesus said to them, see you have been, you have been made well. That's past tense, isn't it? Sin no more lest the worst thing come upon you. I want you to notice this about it. Many times Christians get the idea that in order to get God to move for me, I've got to purge something out of my life. I may have you ever heard that? Thought comes to you. you know, enemy kind of sows this. Get rid of this in your life and God will move on you. Look at it happened here. This man is restored and he didn't change a thing in his life. And it wasn't required. And the power of God moved on him. But afterwards, Jesus said, Look, you have been made whole. Sin no more lest the worst thing come upon you. God's not putting it on them. If you go back to serving the master of Satan, go back to worshiping of his kingdom, do his stuff, he's just telling you, he's not a good guy. He's going to throw some worse things on you than what you had before. So whatever you know to be sin, and you're doing it, quit it. Because worse things can come upon you. Don't read that that God's doing it to him. So he was healed not because he changed or he made a promise to change. He was healed because he acted on what Jesus said. That's why he was healed. See, often when we get a command in the Word of God, it's something that we are unable to do, something that we are unwilling to do, or we can do, but we don't think it'll do any good. I'll give you a couple of examples of that. Remember the guy who was told to wash in the river? He'd be free of leprosy. What did he say? That's a dirty river. I don't want to wash in that river. That's not going to do any good. Right? Sometimes God will tell you to do something and to your own mind, that's not going to help. We don't do it. It doesn't matter if the thing is going to do any good. What matters is that you obeyed. When you obey, you tap into the power of God. Now, what we do will speak much about what we want. That's why Jesus did not ask the question again the second time. He does not say, do you want to be made well? He doesn't say it again. What he says is, rise, take up your bed, and walk. If the man wants to be well, all he has to do is obey. His obedience demonstrated his desire. And that's the same thing with us. Our obedience demonstrates our desire. so I put three questions in here you could put a whole lot more questions than that than I put in here for you I just put three questions in here and what I'm going to do is going to show you three things if you do it if you obey those three things you'll get it you're not going to get it by pleading to God you're not going to get it by changing your life by getting rid of some hidden sin or whatever it might be I mean if you got a hidden sin get rid of it (laughs) it's always a good thing sin will always hold you back don't need to be doing that sort of stuff but how many want to be successful how many want to prosper how many want to have good things come in your life? Now, this first thing—it's it, it's ongoing. How many of you know if you are on your job and you have success, there's still more success waiting for you down the road. Just because you hit success doesn't mean that success is all over. There's still more things you can be successful with down the road. Another job, a promotion at your job—you uh, can still be successful where you are. You don't just hit a dead end and there's no more success. In Joshua one eight. I'm going to break this down to three things. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have a good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Three things here in verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. There's the first part. Speak. First thing he says, I'm breaking it down as simple as we can. Know the verse But we're just trying to break it down To get it to be as simple As rise Take up your bed And walk If you want to be successful The first thing you must do Is speak Speak the word You've got to speak the word I don't like you I'm not comfortable Well then you won't be successful He says here If you do these things You will have good success You will be prosperous and anybody who says, you know, they have the people are out there, they're trying to get the name and claim of and doctrine and, and the prosperity gospel and all that stuff. There's not a single person in this world who does not want to prosper. There's not a single person in this world who does not want to prosper. How many of you get excited every time you get a raise? Isn't that good? Doesn't that make you more prosperous? How many of you get excited when your car is paid off?
1: <laughs>
0: Doesn't that make you prosperous? Yes. Yeah. But, you know, these same people want to go around and say, we shouldn't be desiring a prosperity. That's ridiculous. God always made people to prosper. Now, don't get into covetousness. Don't get into a place where you start coveting what other people have or you live your whole life just to have money. That's wrong. There's a whole lot of the word God has to say about being covetousness or being greedy. Don't need to be any of that. But to be prosperous, how many of you want to go on your job and your boss say, man, you did a great job on that. Is that not prosperity? Is that not having success? We strive for it all the time. There's nothing wrong with that. Just don't be overcome with pursuing money. That'll get you into trouble. You don't need to do that. But here in this, this verse... He says, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Sounds like he wants you to have prosperity and success. And there's more verses on that than this. We're, but we're not here to talk about all that. We're here to break this down. So first off, the first thing he says to do, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. So you've got to first off know it. That's a, that's a given. But you've got to speak it. Your mouth, not your thoughts. It's good to have it in your thoughts. But you've got to speak the word. It's got to be coming out of your mouth. You gotta be saying, God has said, the word has said, you gotta be speaking this out of your mouth. This is what needs to come out of you, out of your mouth. Now, it's not saying that you have to go into the elevator and start preaching to everybody in the elevator. Doesn't mean that you have to go and, hey, hold on a minute, I gotta tell you some things. Doesn't mean you have to do it in front of everybody. If they're there, you surely can, but you don't have to. He doesn't say, make sure you speak the word in front of everybody. He just says, what? Don't let that word depart from your mouth. See, a lot of people, when they, they're they're over here and we're we're confessing the word, we're speaking the word, and then we go over here and we say something different. I let the word of God depart from my mouth. Don't let it depart. Keep it in there. It's got to keep, you got to keep saying it. You got to keep thinking. Don't think, don't say things that are contrary to what you're believing for. So, speak it. So I put three things here. Speak. Then the second one, but you shall meditate in it day and night. So you've got to meditate on the word. That means you gotta be thinking it. You gotta be thinking it. One one person I had taught me on this. I love how they put it. Said meditate is just uh worry, they put it this way, worry is corrupted meditation. If you want a picture of it. Worry is corrupted meditation. If you worry about a problem, you think of all the possible ways that thing can get worse. That's what worry is. But meditating the word to think of all the ways that word will work in your life. So he he, he put it to us this way. He said, "Worry the word." <laughs> <laughs> Does that give you a good picture? <laughs> it gave me a good picture. I understood that. So speak, meditate, and the second thing is, or third thing, but you shall meditate in the day and night that you may be, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. So the third thing is do it. Speak it, meditate on it, and do it. That's, that's what you've got to do. And you do those things, you make your way successful. Here's what we want to do instead. Father God, I'm going to fast and pray for a month that um, I'll be successful. He didn't ask you to do that. You're putting something else in there. Don't replace what God asked you to do. Now, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but some of you may not like what He asked you to do. I don't want to speak the Word all the time. I don't want to think the Word all the time. I don't want to do everything that he said in the Word. Well, that's fine. You won't be successful and prosperity won't come near you. It's all right. Now, how many want wisdom on the matter? How many of you right now are facing the matter and you need wisdom on it? I'm not sure what to do. These words have come out of your mouth. We have this situation. I don't know what to do. I've noticed this about people. We are more often talking about what we don't know than what we do. Have you ever heard people talk about that? Well, I don't know. Let me go on about what we don't know. Talk about what you do know. It's better. So you all know this verse of Scripture. I'm not taking any new verses of Scripture. You all know these. James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, if you lack wisdom on something, you don't know what to do, right? If any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him so here's three things if you lack wisdom on something that's the first thing I have a lack there's a, a there's a void there I need to fill it he says ask and receive any man lacks wisdom ask of God and then receive it know that he gives it to you here's what a lot of people do I'm sure no one here in this room would do this, but other people in other churches. You know, they, they might do this. So you just imagine it to, to them. But we go to God. God, I have this problem, I have this situation. I don't know what to do. I thank you that according to James 1.5, I have the wisdom that I need for this thing. And then somebody comes up to you. It sounds good so far, right? We've got a good start. We're working on this pretty well. And then as we, we go on, somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, what are you going to do about that? I have no idea. I do not know. And I'm getting a little uptight about it because I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I've asked God about it, but I don't have the wisdom. I don't know what I'm going to do. And a lot of times we'll go over, I don't know, 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 I don't know. You'd like to just go up to the people and slap them. Shut up! What do you know? I I, I don't know. Sure you do. What's the word say? It says, If any man lacks wisdom, let us ask of God. He gives to all men liberally. Hmm. So that's what you do know. But you see, that's not what you're saying. What you're saying is, I don't know. So if you go to God and you ask what you need, stay obedient to the three things. First off, I have a lack. Secondly, I asked. doesn't say I have to keep asking God. Ask Him free situation. Father God, I got this situation over here. It's not like it's a blanket ask. Well, I've asked God for wisdom, so anytime I need it. (laughs) No, if I got a situation, Father God, I don't know what to do with this situation. I need your wisdom on it. Ask God. He'll give it to you. So if somebody comes up to you after that and says, what are you going to do about that situation? I don't know yet, but God has given me the answer. I have the answer. it's, It's in me. God's given it to me. I got it. And when I need to make a decision, when I need to go in a direction, I'm going to know exactly what I'm supposed to do. See, you don't have to lie and say that you know something you don't know. But just don't make a confession against what the thing that you're you're asking God for. You don't need to do it. All right, so we got past that one. Let's go into on one more. How many of you want a prayer answered? How many of you got a prayer that's out there hasn't been answered yet? Nobody. All right, we'll go into on another one. You don't want to say it, do you? Mark eleven twenty-two. You all know these uh, verses of Scripture. i are going to read the whole passage here for you. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Margin says, Have the faith of God. Have the God kind of faith. For surely I say to you, whoever says that this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done. He shall have whatever he says. Now you could build, build up three things out of the first part of this thing. The first off, there's the believing part. There's the saying part. There's the speaking part. The, the, the say speaking to the thing. you got to be doing those things. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. So the believing comes before the receiving. There's a whole lot of people who want to have the receiving come first than the believing. I believe it when I see it. I believe it when I receive it. No. I speak it. I say it with my mouth. I have the faith of God. I have the God kind of faith, not the human kind of faith. Human kind of faith wants to see it, wants to have some kind of evidence on the thing. God kind of faith is I understand it from the Word I speak it out with my mouth. This is what's going on. This is what's happening. But that's not the part we're focusing on here. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you, this is the part we're look, looking at. I just wanted you to see the verses that came on behind. We're looking at 25 and 26. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your pet trespasses. Now, Brother Hagin used to teach us most of the stuff I said to you, and this is stuff he taught us on this, this, uh, these verses. These verses were very meaningful to him. Because it helped him to get off of a bed of affliction where he was supposed to die by the age before he reached the age of 16. he died at the age of 85, I believe it was healthy all those days once he got up off the, the, the being sick tremendous uh, testimony he had but he didn't have people around he didn't have uh, you know Fred Price out there teaching faith. he didn't have uh, brother Copeland out there teaching faith. he didn't have uh, all these other people that were out there teaching faith they weren't around to teach faith for him they learned it off of him. So he had to sit there with an open Bible. He would have ministers who came into the room and they would say to him, prepare him to die. Just uh, don't worry, son, it'll all be over soon. That's what these ministers of the gospel came in to minister to him. Don't worry, it'll all be over soon. You'll be in heaven. That's great. He wasn't ready to be in heaven yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he, he, he wasn't receiving that too well. So um, he couldn't even turn the page in the Bible. And so his uh, uh, mom or grandmother would come in and uh, they would turn the page for him. And so he'd be reading the Bible and then they'd come in and he'd be ready to turn the page. But he couldn't even turn the page. But he could read it. And he was reading and he came to this verse of Scripture. And this is when God taught him some things. And then this is why i have ever heard him teach why he's on these so many times because this is what got him off the, the bed. But this is what he would teach us in these last two verses. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. When Jesus taught on prayer, the only hindrance he ever taught on beside unbelief was unforgiveness. And you're in the area of prayer. It's the only one he taught on. Unbelief will hinder you and unforgiveness will will hinder you. But look what he says here. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. It doesn't say go over to that person. Doesn't say about any interaction with that person. What all it is talking about is what's going on, on the inside of you. Make sure that you, on the inside of you, have an attitude of forgiveness to that person because if you don't, it's going to hinder you. That's why he puts it out here after asking and praying. So I put this, broke this down for you this way: when you're asking, that'd be the first part. I'm asking for something. Don't be offended or don't be harboring unforgiveness. I put don't be offended just because it was shorter. But if you harbor unforgiveness are you not being offended? Don't be offended but forgiving. Make sure you do those those things. When you're going through the word of God and you find things that the word of God tells us to do break it down as simply as you can somehow to remind you. Break it down into a rise take up your bed and walk. Get it so that it's short and it's in front of you. This is what I need to do. I need to speak the word. I need to meditate on the word. And I need to do the word. If I break it down and keep it simple, I can keep it in front of me. Speak the word. Speak it. The enemy doesn't like you to speak the word. He is constantly going to come after you for that he's going to get you to stop speaking the word. He's going to make you feel uncomfortable. He's going to get people to pass laws and things like that that are going to make you feel like you can't speak the word. Instead of meditating on the word, he's going to get you to think of all kinds of other thoughts, all kinds of other worries, all kinds of other things that are going to come into your mind because you're not meditating on the word anymore. And then when we get to the success part, we go before God, God, I I need your help on this. It's failing, it's not working, it's whatever it is. Now go back to the Word of God. See, God doesn't want to measure how much you want a thing by all the things that you have come up with to do. He measures it by listening to the words that He spoke and doing them. If you want success, this is what you do. That's a lot of work. Well, then you don't want it. You don't want the success, but whatever it is that you're doing, break it down. I was trying to think of some things that we could uh, we could do. with thinking, of brother jo- uh, brother Jolly's back there, and you're still in marching band. Yeah, no, not but when you were when he was in marching band, I was, I was thinking about, about this. If he could he could relate to this a little bit, maybe some of us can do. When you are a marching band, there's a you, you could break down marching band into three things. If you're in a marching band, if you're watching those people out there, the first off, you got to march. Otherwise, you're not in a marching band, right? You got to march. If you're in a marching band, you got to watch. You got to watch the per- people that are around you, people, especially the one in front of you. You got to watch the the director that uh, is telling you what to what to do. And the third thing that you got to do, and it's important, you got to play. That's right. <laughs> you got to play whatever it is that you're you're doing. You gotta march, you gotta watch, you gotta put. If you're not doing those three things, it's not gonna work out so well for you. Whatever it is that you need from God, there's a, there's something in the Word of God that it will tell it to you. Something in the Word of God that will speak it to you. Find out what the Word says. Break it down into two, three, or four things, whatever you can break it down to. And keep your mind on it. Speak the Word. Meditate on the Word. And do the words? Yeah, I can. I can break that down. I can keep it in front of me. But I still got to get out there and do it. I still got to keep the words of my mouth being the words of God. This book of the law, the, this book of the law, shall not depart from your mouth. That means you don't have a certain close friends in which you speak all the horrors that are going on in your life. <laughs> oh, it's so bad! It's so terrible! I don't know if I'm going to live. It's just so. Just... The word of God has departed from your mouth. What you did was you took other things that you are meditating on and you gave voice to it. If you're wondering why you're not being successful and why things that you're touching are not prospering, it's simply this. You let other thoughts come in that you're meditating on and now you are speaking them. Because the enemy came in and says, you're going to die. This is going to knock you out. You're going to lose your job. All your money is going to disappear. Everybody hates you. And then out of your mouth is going to come those things. But you see, the reason that you, he starts off this list, speak the word. Speak the word. Meditating came second. It's so important. Brother Hagin used to teach us in Mark that the saying part is mentioned three times as much as the believing part. We emphasize the believing part. Jesus emphasized the saying part. If you're not saying it, you're not believing it. Gotta be saying it. Gotta be speaking it out of your mouth. I'll tell you what, it's important. So we gave you three things here. We can keep on going. I can go through other parts of Scripture and break it down into three things again. Whatever it is that you need. Find verses of Scripture that are on it and then break it down The three things. See, Jesus, on the spur of the moment, do you want to be healed? Man doesn't answer him. But he tells him, I can't do the three things I know to do being here at the pool. There's a hindrance there. So he just comes up with another three things. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And the man jumps on it. And on the way of doing the first thing, he is made completely well. But he doesn't stop. He takes up his bed, and he walks. He walks away from Jesus. Many of us would not have probably had that obedience, but this man did. It's so powerful to obey what the Word says. you got to hear it. you got to know it. Meditate on it. Speak it. Change your life change your life whatever situation you want to change whatever situation you need to turn around just know this there are people that went through it in the Bible there's teaching about how to behave and what to do and the word of God will tell you I guarantee you that most of the time you won't like it because it's going to go against your flesh most of the time that we find in there oh I don't want to do, do I really have to do that do I really have to wash in the Jordan River? I don't like the Jordan River. I'd rather wash in this river over here. I like this one better. <laughs> the power is in what Jesus says. That's where the power is. Don't question it. I'll tell you what, I've I thought about this story so many times. I'm thinking, how many people did Jesus go up to and say three things to them? Not necessarily the same ones, but he said three things to them. Something along the lines of, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And they said, But I can't. How many people did he do that to? And Jesus just walked on. And they're not in the Bible because they didn't get healed. How many people maybe did the first thing? But they didn't do the second and third? Word of God is powerful, folks. It can change your life. It'll alter everything that you're doing. It'll cause people that want to be against you to not be able to stand. That's what it will do. But you got to do what the Word says to do. Oh, but I don't want to. I don't think I should have to. I have a right to. We don't. Folks, when we came on board, followed after God, we gave up our rights. How many read the the quote in the bulletin? But don't look now. How many read the quote in the bulletin? Thank you, both of you. Appreciate that. <laughs> now we got four of them. <laughs> a lot of times those quotes have to have a lot to do with what we're doing here. Rick Renner. Rick Renner quote. If you didn't read it already, read it now. Or read it when you get home. Don't read it now. It's important. See, you can you can change. You can alter things. When you get before God, you should be like, God, here's a piece of paper. You tell me what you want me to do. And you'll do it. Just give God a blank check. You tell me what you want me to do. That's where we got to get with God. We get that way, folks. We change our life. There is no one. This is what the word says in the word of God. No man will be able to stand before you but the only way that happens is when we obey. Just obey what God says to do. Go in the Word of God and find it. Here's what He said. Now I'm going to obey it. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. How many of you here today and you would, you have a situation that you need change on? You have a situation that you need the power of God to operate in? There are people in your way. There are things in your way. But you know that the end result is where God wants you to be. How many of you got a situation like that going on? God will change it. God will change it. Would you all bow your heads with me? Glory to God. Father God, we thank you for all the examples we have in the Word of God of people who faced overwhelming situations but their situation is turned around. They face masses of people against them but their situation turned around. They face imprisonment and their situation turned around. They face death and their situation turned around. No matter what it is that we face you can turn the situation around if we obey you and don't give in to the pressure to disobey. With every head bowed if you're here today and you want prayer You want to come up here in the front? I'll pray over you. If The word of God comes alive to you. You get your three things, two things, four things, whatever it is that you can focus on, that you obey when you bring yourself into obedience in those things. You will see the power of God demonstrated in your life. This power is so strong, it broke something that was over this man's life for 38 years without even a touch he was made whole that's how powerful obedience is don't let the enemy tell you anything different if you're here today and you want prayer specifically for something come on up here in the front we'll pray over you glory be to God Father God we give you the glory thank you Father Father you know the situations that we are involved with you know the things that we face You know the word that we need to hear. I thank you that as we continue to put our eyes on your word, we keep reading your word, and then we go away from there and we meditate on your word, that your word will become alive to us. Wisdom will flow to us. Whatever it is that we need will come to us. Father God, we are going to have the power of God accessed in our life through the obedience of your word. Just as you did with this man at the pool you are ready to do for us. You'll show us in your word the equivalent of rise, take up your bed and walk. And all we need to do is obey. I thank you for the power of God that will go on in our life. Give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Victor.
1: Good morning brothers and sisters, uh, so it's always nice to find us in church and um, we really want to thank you for coming and for those that were able to join uh, by way of the internet, we are happy to have you in church. David said in Psalm 133, he said, how t- truly wonderful and um, delightful to see brothers and sisters living together in sweet unity. So it's like um, a precious, as precious as a secret scent oil, scented oil flowing from the head of the high priest, Aaron, dripping down upon his bed and running all down, all the way down to the hem of his priestly robes. So his heavenly blessings, this heavenly harmony can be compared to the dew dripping down from the sky upon Mount Hermon. Refreshing the mountain slopes of Israel. Say from this realm of sweet harmony, God will release his eternal blessing, the promise of his life forever. Hallelujah. So whenever we gather like this, that is exactly what God does in us. And that is why we will always appreciate um, your presence in church. And for those that by any reason couldn't make it here, could join us by way of the internet. So we are glad to have you around today amen um and like pastor i said let's keep using our mouth to speak um over the week i had a two and a half hour interview for for a new job i'm actually looking at trusting god for and all they needed me to do was speak you know just keep keep talking keep proving to them that you are capable of taking this job And I discovered this has been the principle in the word of God. So what the world is doing now is basically picking up the things that God has actually kept in his word. Use your mouth to give your life a meaning. So when we go forward, let's use our mouth to speak. David said one thing. He said, I believe therefore have I spoken. Paul came up and picked up the same word. He said, he believed and he spoke. We also therefore believe and speak. Hallelujah. So let's use our mouth to declare the things that God has for us. Amen. So we are glad to have you here. Particularly, we are happy to see Christian in church today. Um, I've heard a lot about him, but I'm so happy to have you know, met him today in church. Uh, Christian, you're welcome. We are happy for what you're doing for the nation, you know, um, standing on our behalf, protecting our borders, and keeping us safe. Welcome to church today. Amen. A quick reminder, if you look at your bulletin, you will see that today we have um, a big sale today by the children, and um, whatever you can do um, will really go a long way to help us gather some things for the Christmas. Um, You can also make contribution by donating during offerings. Just put a a title on it, um, Shoes, so that they can be able to separate that. And if you go to the back of your bulletin... um, Quick reminder again, if ever you have any prayer requests for anything, um, anything specific to you, to your family, or anybody, please, always, you can always meet the usher, or you can always come up like Pastor um, ask after the ministration today. So, we are always here to pray for one another, to hold up one another in our prayers. So, um, God bless us today as we go, and um, let's have a good time during the week. Amen.